In my former church, there was one Sunday, I remember, where an elder stood up to give the congregation a, a financial update. And he said that the church was strong and did not face imminent financial disaster. Well, there were some guys on the staff who doctored the videotape of that talk so that it repeated the phrase, imminent financial disaster, over and over again. So it looked like that was the only thing he was saying. Imminent financial disaster, imminent financial disaster. My wife and I thought it was kind of funny, but the senior pastor didn't. I can't imagine why. That phrase, imminent financial disaster, probably sounds a little familiar after last week, after the last couple of weeks, doesn't it? There's a whole lot of fear out there right now. And the media is certainly doing its job to kind of whip that fear up even more. I'm not saying that the economy is good. Obviously not. There are obviously problems, and I know some of you are hurting because of it. But fear doesn't help, does it? I mean, I'm not an economist, so correct me if I'm wrong, but generally fear is bad for the stock market, right? So we don't need any more fear. Here's the good news I want you to leave here with today. The good news is that for those of us who trust Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. In the story we just read, Israel is in a severe drought, which has caused complete economic collapse. And there's a widow who has only enough flour and oil to make one more meal, one more piece of bread, and then she's out. That's it. She and her son are going to die. And Elijah, who's a prophet of God, comes along and says, give me a piece of bread, and God will continuously replenish your flour and your oil. Now, if you had been the widow, what would you have said? <laughs> Take a hike, right? Find your own bread, buddy. But in faith, she does it anyway. And day after day, God refills the flour and the oil. And what she discovers is that when she surrenders everything she has to God, God meets her needs. Maybe not her once. He doesn't replace the flour with filet mignon, right? But he takes care of her needs. And I believe that is the secret for how we get through difficult economic times without any fear at all. We surrender what we have to God. Give some of our money to his work and we will be delivered from fear. That's been my experience. Now, if you've been around churches a lot, you are probably just now putting it together that this must be the stewardship sermon. <laughs> that once a year ritual and guilt and obligation where we, where churches all over the country try to twist people's arms into giving them more money. Sort of like a story the writer Stephen Olford tells about a strong man at a circus and his act consisted of taking an orange and squeezing it until there's absolutely nothing left. And then he would say, no juice at all. And then he would say, if anyone can get one more drop out of this orange, I'll give him a hundred bucks. So this wimpy looking guy comes up, takes this shriveled up rind of an orange, and he gets one last drop out of it. And the strong man said, well, how'd you do that? And he said, easy, I'm the treasurer at my church. I'm not going to do that to you today. I'm not going to try to squeeze something out of you. I'm not going to do that. Especially since you're such a generous congregation. You know, I, I, I planned these sermons way months in advance. And for the first part of this week, I spent the first part of the week feeling sorry for myself. I'm thinking, of all the weeks to do the stewardship sermon, right? I mean, in 80 years, like in all the weeks to pick to do the stewardship sermon, I picked this week. But then I started to think, you know what? No, actually... Out of the last 80 years of all the weeks to do the stewardship sermon, this is actually the best one in 80 years. 
Because I believe very strongly that the key to moving away from financial fear is by surrendering some of our money to God and give it to his work, which I know sounds like a paradox, but I've experienced it true as true in my own life. In the Old Testament, God says to give 10% of your income to the church that you're part of. It's called a tithe. It's less than a tip. The New Testament ups the ante by saying that giving should be sacrificial. So be glad I'm preaching from the Old Testament this morning. <laughs> and God says that not to make us miserable or to burden us, but to set us free from fear. I have not worried about money in my personal life for decades. And that's not because I've always had a lot of it. There have been seasons where I had very little money. The reason I haven't worried in decades is because even when we didn't have a lot of money, when things were tight, and even before I was a pastor, my wife and I have been given 10% and usually a lot more, and that has set us free from fear in two ways. And the first is when we give, God provides. That's what the story we just read is all about. That's what he did for the widow. God provides. Last week, a man emailed me about how he started to tithe even though he had almost no money because he was going through a divorce and he was spending almost $15,000 a month in legal fees. And he didn't have a high-paying job. But he got unexpected raises and bonuses that carried him through. And I got dozens and dozens of stories like that. Personally, giving has been the best way that I have convinced myself that God exists. The best proof I have for God's existence, God's existence has been through my giving because he provides. Either by bringing us more money, and that's happened to me in the past, or, or he shows us we don't need as much as we think we do. I know a man whose income went down very significantly in the last recession in 2002, but he and his wife decided to keep giving at the same rate. Now, his financial advisor told him he was nuts, said, this is going to wipe you out, right? Don't do it. But they decided that they would make whatever lifestyle adjustments they needed to make in order to be able to keep on tithing. And they figured that the first way they could save money would be to get rid of their financial advisor. <laughs> Saved a lot of money. This man said, you know what, without the cable, without the vacations, without the lattes and the electronic toys, we spend way more time together as a family. We have less, and we have less envy of other people. We're not driven crazy with envy because we've discovered we don't need everything we think we need. And we are way happier. The writer Henri Nouwen tells a story about going to a monastery for a two-week prayer retreat. And when he got there, one of the monks said to him, now just let us know if there's anything you think you need and we'll be happy to show you how to get along without it. <laughs> every study, guys, every study, every study ever done shows that after the basics of food, clothing, and shelter have been met, the more money we have, the less happy we become. Every study. It's like the old adage, who's happier, the man with a million dollars or the man with 12 kids? The man with 12 kids because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> when we give, God provides, and that frees us from fear. But giving doesn't just free us from something, it also frees us to be part of God's rescue operation in the world. And that enlarges our heart, which makes our financial fear, fear, uh, fears seem smaller because our world gets bigger. Now is not the time for Jesus' people to retreat in fear. Now is the time when we are called to push back on all that fear that's going on right now out in that world. And there are so many ways that we together as a church are pushing back on a culture of fear and addiction and loneliness and pain. 
God is on the move through us in some really cool ways. Our high school pastor, Greg Milliken, told me a story about three high school guys who went on the extreme week camping trip this summer. And these guys were very skeptical about Christianity, had lots of questions, especially about suffering, since one of their good friends had been killed in a tragic accident. One night, Greg was praying for one of these kids who he didn't really know and got thoughts that he knew were from God about this kid's relationship with his dad. And he started sharing those thoughts with this kid, which kind of freaked the kid out because there's no way Greg could have known that stuff. Well, later that night, Greg was on night patrol and overheard this guy talking to his two other friends about God in their tent. And they, they just talked for hours about God. Well, I mean, interspersed with some bathroom humor and stories about girls, but mostly God. <laughs> and one friend became convinced. But the other one still wasn't convinced until the next night when Greg prayed for that guy and that guy started to feel this overwhelming sense of God's presence. So here are three guys who are suffering because of the death of a friend and God meets them and begins to heal their pain. Y'all made that happen. Y'all made that happen by your giving. And that's just one story out of hundreds that I could tell just in this room. I mean, how many of you met Jesus right here? How many marriages were healed? in this church? How many of you have been in a crisis and found a family here? How many of your kids have had Christ's love poured into their hearts through the Sunday school here? I got an email a while back from a woman whose husband used to work in finance, but they just moved in order to start a job in full-time ministry. And this is what she wrote. She said, I feel compelled to let you know how grateful we are for FPCB. Our years at First Press were jam-packed with challenge, struggle, blessing, sweet fellowship, service, and joy. Here are some of the trials we faced. The fear and uncertainty of a layoff when already on one income at the time of our second child's birth. A pornography addiction confession and the grieving and healing process that followed in our marriage. And the devastation of a miscarriage. We felt God care for us through the support of Mom's Fellowship, teaching Sunday school, Jubilee service days, young family small groups, and relationships that blessed us with being known and loved just the way we are. We looked forward to each worship service that made us laugh, get tears, feel a sincere desire to change in order to be more available for God's kingdom on earth. We'll always appreciate a church that is not for the beautiful people to show up and network, but is a hospital for sinners to come in all their brokenness and find acceptance, healing, and hope. FPCB was the center point of our commitments and our fellowship. You all were like our family. That's why leaving was so painful. Yet it's also, be, it's also because FPCB Yet it was also because of FPCB that we found the courage to do something we'd pondered for years but never wanted to deal with the risk and leap out of our comfort zone. But you shared a show me, use me prayer, which we prayed. And so here we are out of our comfort zone facing what we thought was one of our giants, full-time ministry, and loving it and seeing God's blessings pour down upon us. We are so deeply grateful. Y'all made that happen. If you've been given, y'all made that happen. You are changing lives. And not just in here, but out there too. I mean, every year after the Jubilee Service Day, we get emails from teachers and principals and this year homeowners who we helped. And they all say the same things. Things like, I'm overwhelmed. Why would you do this for us? They just don't understand a church that would serve them with so much joy. And that's my definition of evangelism. Leave people confused. Right? Like... Wait, I thought Christians were like this, but you're, you're different. Two weeks ago, we offered sponsorships for street kids at the Center for Champions in Rwanda. And in one day, you sponsored all of them except for three. In just one day. 
Y'all are pushing back on fear through your faithfulness. And that's why Christine and I are thrilled to give our money right here. Because it sets us free from fear, because we see God provide. And it sets us free to be part of God's rescue operation to this world. And to be part of a group of people that is pushing back on the culture that pushes so hard on us. And that's why even this year, I am not afraid and I am not shrinking back from inviting you to give to this church. Now, it's an invitation. It's not an obligation. God's going to love you no matter what you do. It's, it's an invitation. But I'm going to invite you to give to two places. The first is to the operating budget of this church, through which we're changing all kinds of lives in here and out there. Second place you can give is to the Ripple Effect campaign, which is funding three projects. The Center for Street Kids in Rwanda and for Education for Kids in Sudan. The Jubilee Reach Center in Southeast Bellevue, which helps over 700 people a month get out of loneliness and poverty. And the building we're building now that houses our children and youth programs that change so many lives. Now I want to give you a little update on this building. Because of what's happening um, to the price of steel and petroleum products globally, we discovered this uh, summer that we had some cost overruns in that building because of what's happening to the price of those things globally. Now, at first it was $2.5 million over budget, but through value engineering, we've reduced that down to $1.2 million without cutting the essentials. And yes, we did two, two and a half years ago when we did the campaign, we did exceed our goal. But remember, that money was divided across three projects. And we always knew that we we're going to have to borrow some to finish this project here, but it'd be great if we didn't have to borrow an extra million because that impacts the operating budget for years. Any extra money will be distributed across the three projects just like we've been doing. So for instance, in Rwanda, the Center for Champions, that will allow them to build a soccer field that they had to cut because of the same global price issues that we're facing here. And when you've got several hundred street kids, you want a soccer field where they can burn off some energy. Right? Like that is critical to education. More money would also help Jubilee Reach Center reach out to more, to more people. So if you're given now to the ripple effect, and if you can, if you can, give a little more or give six extra months, which is what my wife and I are going to do, that would be awesome. If you've never given to the ripple effect, man, we need you now. This, this is when we need you. We'd, we'd, the one thing we'd ask, though, is that anything you give to the ripple effect be over and above what you give to the operating budget because we want to keep this church changing people's lives. This week, you'll get information in the mail. You'll get pledge cards for both. Invite you to just pray about it and see what God is calling you to do for both the ripple effect and for the operating budget. Bring your cards in next week. Now, I know that some of you are in severe financial difficulty right now, so for some of you, your gift may come in time by giving some time to serve here. And if you're in real bad shape, please let us know so that we can come alongside you and support you as best that we can. And I especially want to invite those of you who have been coming for a while and not, have not started giving to this church or to the ripple effect, I'd especially invite you guys to give this year. This year, we need you. But I also believe that you need this. And that's not hype or spin or pastor talk. Really, the primary motivation for this sermon is I believe that when we give, my experience has been God sets us free from fear. And I want you all to have that freedom, the same kind of freedom that my wife and I have discovered through giving. But I'm the pastor, and I'm supposed to say that sort of thing, so I want you to hear from a normal person, a person who just sits out in the pews, and her name is Georgia McCoy. Well, I have a friend who preached a sermon last week about taking that thing that we fear most losing and placing it in God's hands. At the end of the sermon, he asked us, 
what is your binky? And he challenged us to put our binkies into God's hands. Clearly, my binky is money. I grew up very poor, and I am just terrified of being poor again. So like many of you over the last couple of months, I began to really worry about where our, what was happening to our finances and our investments for our future. Particularly in this last week, I began to really just stress out over seeing what was happening in the market. Probably stress out is putting it very mildly. I panicked <laughs> when I saw what was happening to our investments. So a friend of mine said, you know, Georgia, what you need to do is to take some time and pray and ask God to fill you with the faith in him that he's going to take care of you. So as I started to do this, God spoke to me and he said, Georgia, what are you going to do with this money anyway, this money that you have in savings? What's your plan for that? And the fact of the matter was nothing. I, I didn't have a plan for it. We don't need that money right now. We're not living off of that money. I just wanted it there so I could feel secure. And the fact of the matter was, I realized that my security wasn't in that Charles Schwab account. It wasn't in Bank of America. My security was in God. And I really needed to rely on him to take care of me. When I was a single mother and I was really struggling financially, the Lord called on me to tithe. And at first I tried to combat this request from him and say, you know, Lord, my, my money doesn't mean a lot. My offerings are so insignificant. They're so small. But what I realized that our offerings are significant to God. So I decided that I'd take a few baby steps toward tithing. And the first year, I said, okay, I'm going to pledge 10% of what's left of my take-home pay after I pay my house note. So Rhonda and I survived that year. So the next year I got a little braver and I said, okay, I'm going to pledge 10% of my take-home pay and just see what happens. So lo and behold, we survived that year also. So the next year I pledged 10% of my gross income. No, this isn't going to be one of those stories where I got this big bonus, I got great big raises, and so I had a lot more money than I ever had to start with. It just didn't turn out that way. But God blessed me in another way. He took away some of those desires I had to have things that were temporary and short-term and really didn't improve our quality of life. So about three years ago, Steve and I decided that I should quit working full-time. Now, this meant a huge cut in our, our income, about half. And we knew that we were going to have to make lots of changes in our lifestyle to be able to do that. And we were beginning to really feel challenged toward our goal of continuing to tithe. It was a, it was a stressful time for us. But fortunately, my... Um, part-time consulting business did pretty well and uh, th that year and then the next year and so last year I had one of the biggest jobs I've ever had and that job required me to do a lot more travel so my take-home pay or my my um, out-of-pocket expenses were a lot more than they had been in the past so when I got the check I thought okay I'm gonna pay my American Express bill 
I'm going to take out from my B&O taxes, and then I'll give 10% of what's left to the church. Well, that started nagging me. I knew it was that little guy in the red suit with pointy tail, not the one with the white beard, that was, <laughs> that was really telling me to cheat God, to rob him of what was really his. You see, it wasn't 10% of what was left that belonged to God. All that money belonged to God. Every bit of it belonged to God. So as I wrote out my check for 10% of the full amount, I felt really good that I knew that I was doing God's will. So even though I feel like I'm trying to give God my binkies, he hasn't taken them away from me. And I really don't worry that if he does take it, because I know that my security lies in him. I'm Georgia McCoy, a normal person, and I approve this message. <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. There is a false god in our culture called money. And like all false gods, he promises so much and he delivers so little. And at the end, he puts us in a prison of our own making. But when we give some of our money away, we break agreement with that false God and we find freedom because God provides. As I told you last week, our youngest child went to school this year, so my wife has had some free time during the days. First day of school, I came home for lunch and she was reading a book and I walked through the door and she looked up and she said, I'm so happy. She said, I even bake cookies without resentment. And do you know why she felt so free with her time that she could bake resentment-free cookies? Because she knew there was more coming. And is it exactly the same when we give our money? God will make sure that there is enough to meet our needs. And that frees us from fear. <clears throat> when I was at my former church, they discovered at one point that over a two-year period, they had overpaid me $40,000. I just want to assure you that has never happened here, <laughs> nor will it. We would nip that in the bud. Now, I had repeatedly told the finance elders and the business manager, my checks are too big. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand how the taxes are working. And we gave you a raise, and they're not too big. It's good. Well, when they discovered the mistake two years later, the elders said, we prayed about it. It's not your fault. You told us absolutely do not give the money back. Well, Christine and I talked about this for as long as, oh, I'd say we went about, oh, a good 30 seconds. And we knew what we had to do. We knew we had to give it back. So fortunately, we had been saving for a house down payment, so we had, so we had the money. So that day, Christina wrote out a check, took a check of, for 40 k to the business manager. And then he asked her, what does this do to your bank account? And she said, oh, it zeroes it out. And he said, completely? And she said, uh-huh, nothing, nada, zilch, all gone. <laughs> well, later that day, I came home to see how she was doing because Christina sometimes had a tendency to worry about money a lot. So I said to her, well, how are you feeling? And she said, about what? And I said, you know, the money. And she said, oh, that. Oh, no big deal. I'm just trying to figure out what to cook for dinner. And I said, oh, and besides, I mean, who needs a house anyway? You just have to fix stuff if it breaks. Now, I can tell you that when we first got married, she was not nearly that free with money. She got there the same way I did by giving some of it away and seeing God provide. And more importantly, getting to be a part of his rescue mission to the world. Because you see, God is on the move. And whenever we are a part of that, our fears get smaller because our world gets bigger. And that is who we are called to be, a community of people who are not afraid, but who move into the world to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world in reversing the effects of the fall.
You see, when Jesus left, he didn't leave behind a school because he didn't think education, as good as it is, was the hope of the world. And when he left, he didn't leave behind a business because as important as that is, he knew it wasn't the hope of the world. And he didn't leave behind a nation because he knew that government wasn't going to be the hope of the world. Jesus left behind a community of people called to be instruments of his grace in an often graceless, hurting, and worried world. And that is who we are, FPCB. And God is on the move. We are not a community that shrinks back in fear. We are a community who pushes back on fear. And our extremity is God's opportunity. I believe this moment of economic turmoil is a chance for Christians to experience the power of God in ways they have never experienced him before and show the world that we are not afraid, that we are going to live counter to culture, and we are going to give generously of everything we've got because it's not in money we trust, it's in God we trust. And even if we have to downsize our lifestyles, God will meet our needs. Even if, if we have to give up cable and drive a car that's good for our prayer life because we have to pray every morning that it starts, God's going to meet our needs. Even if we have to downsize our house or our kids can't go to a fancy private college, it'll be okay. People survive state schools. It'll be all right. God will provide for our needs because God is bigger than the U.S. economy. He made the Milky Way. I think he can handle the Dow Jones. I am not afraid. You do not need to be afraid because God is on the move in this church. And our hope is not built on the stock market. Our hope is not built on the Fed. Our hope is not built on our 401k. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. All other ground is shifting sand. And when you are standing on the rock, you can smile away and say, shift all you want, sand. You just go ahead and shift. I am not afraid. Because to paraphrase an old song from the 70s, I got a peaceful, easy feeling, and it will not let me down. Because you and I are standing on solid ground. We have nothing to be afraid of.